Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Wolverine 24-7 podcast, your audio source for all things Michigan football, basketball, and recruiting. I'm your host, Zach Shaw. Steve Lorenz here with me. So this is going to be a defensive depth chart podcast. Uh, We'll have a brief update just because we did hear from Ward Manual today, um, along with the athletic department's team, head team physician, and then also their chief uh, health and wellness officer. And so we'll have that. We will discuss the defensive depth chart, kind of what we did on on Monday, looking at the, the offensive side of the ball, you know, the starters, the second string, kind of previewing a little bit of those position battles, uh, taking a look at some sleepers who might climb their way in. I think the defensive side, way more uh, – maybe not way more uncertainty, but there's more uncertainty just because, I mean, I remember I was talking to Steve about it, like asking him, which, which players were playing where even, and then it's kind of how, how players are moving between the safeties and linebackers and cornerbacks rooms. And, and then obviously there's a lot of intrigue because they're going to be looking on some key new players to step up. But before we get to that, we will briefly uh, touch on word, what Ward Manuel said today and what, what Michigan said today. And so uh, we don't have a ton to say about it just because it's news, it's not something we really have an opinion on. What I, if a doctor says, you know, they're doing this, then, then I, I think that's, I would tend to side with that. But they, it's, the football team has returned to campus. My understanding is that the men's basketball and women's basketball teams have returned as well. Uh, Michigan spokesperson during the call clarified this was, these were football-specific numbers, but they have conducted 221 tests and there have been two asymptomatic positives. So by and large, looking at how things are around the country, that's, I think that's pretty solid. I mean, that's, you know, I, I think, um, uh, you know, the doctor that was on the call even said those were kind of expected numbers. That's, that's the expectation that they're, they're hoping to have. And so obviously those two players will be in quarantine. I, they'll monitor uh, some of the other situations as well. But a few other interesting nuggets Michigan, they are not doing a waiver. No one's signing a waiver. They are having them sign a policy statement. I thought this was interesting. And it basically presents all the facts that, they've, that Michigan has presented, either on the Zoom calls or, or in person, and basically says, here's all the information. You must follow these rules, or it will be treated as a violation of team rules. And so that, obviously, what I'm getting at there is social distancing, mask wearing, uh, they're not, they're not sending them to a hotel. I guess that's been something discussed at, at other schools is not putting them on campus near other students, but putting them in a hotel. Uh, Ward Manuel said they're not professionals, so they won't be doing that. I guess the NBA is doing that. Maybe that's where that came from, but they won't be, they won't be isolating like that. They'll be living in their, in their homes. Uh, that said, it seems like a pretty cautious process where they're adding 70 to 150 new athletes per week, I think is their hope, you know, involving the fall sports and then uh, some of the other athletes as well. And then, and then they, everyone gets tested upon arrival and then there will be surveillance testing, which comes after that, which um, is defined by the school of public health. Basically they, it's not testing everybody. It's making inferences and testing based on, um, you know, kind of tracking what is causing some of these spikes. So higher contact sports might have more testing than say cross country or golf. Uh, and so you know, sports where there's a little bit more 
sports that are indoors might get tested a little bit more than those that practice outdoors. So a uh, few, few little things. We'll have stories. Hard Manuel also said, uh, don't expect the big house to be full this fall. Uh, he said, said he had a lot of things he didn't know, and he, he admitted as such. But then he said, it will not be normal. That much is definitive. Could be 50%, 40, 30, 20, 10, zero fans in attendance. Uh, so that's something of note as well. I think that was everything of no, I mean, we'll have a lot more written over at the michiganinsider.com and michigan.247sports.com kind of breaking down the process of this return. It, it kind of, it takes a little too long to explain to, to fit into this kind of podcast, but kind of a newsy press conference. Got, got a lot of information, uh, felt like feel better understanding of how Michigan's process is put in place. So, Steve, unless you had more to add, we can probably move on to the depth chart. Yeah, I, I don't really care about that stuff that much. So um, there you go. Like, 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 you know, you posted your story on the board and was asked about the protocol. Someone that you were asked about the protocol for players who test positive, and then you gave an answer, and then they wanted to know, well, how long are they going to be quarantined? Like, who cares? What if you had said nine days instead of 10 days? Like, what difference does it make? You know, Michigan's got their process. We'll see how it goes, and then we'll just go from there after after we know, you know, if this was successful or not. So, yeah, I don't really care about the process that much. To be it honest. isn't a random process either. I mean, no. this is, you know, I've run, they're, they're working with Michigan Medicine. They're working with the School of Public Health on the surveillance testing. Uh, yeah, it's... <laughs> That is an interesting point. Like, did it? I, the response could have been, "Does it? Does it matter to you?" I mean, obviously, you want it to be. Not trying to be, yeah. Not trying yeah, to belittle, but it's just like, you know, it, here it is. Okay, like it's like they're I, doing what the well, doctors tell them to. I don't be, think they're like should be twelve days. <laughs> you know, it's like <laughs> sorry, I don't know. Probably annoyed some people out there listening, but I, I really don't care about the process. I, you know, I Mich- see what you're saying. I there mean, are pe- it, people, yeah. So, you know, quarantining is important. Being following safety protocols is important, but it's 100%. It's, it's not, very, this isn't Ward Manual and Jim Harbaugh come, scheming and coming up with their plan. This is right. Michigan Medicine coming up with their plans. It's, so it's, it's vitally important, and but there's just not much to discuss. You know, there's people that know much, 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 much more about everything about this than we do. And so I don't, you know, Anything I say would be of no value, I guess, in my, you know, that's my thought on it is, sure. you know, Michigan, they appear to have had a good plan. Harbaugh, the, the one thing we did talk about, Harbaugh appeared to very effectively communicate the plan. With Manuel the players. credited Harbaugh twice in the call. Okay, for, yeah, for there you go. communication with the parents sure. and the family. So and they did. Yeah. Yep. So there's that. And then I, I, I give Michigan credit, they're not isolating any you know they're they're not treating the athletes like professional athletes they're treating them i the phrase i I, i'm sure many of our listeners roll their eyes at it too but the student athlete phrase it does seem like that's how they're being treated now they are on campus a lot sooner than the rest of the student body but I, i i don't think this is i don't think that they are rushing anything i never got that sense so anyway we can go into this depth chart, breaking down 
defensive tackles, defensive ends, linebackers, safeties, cornerbacks. Uh, and then I did special teams too. I mean, special teams, we, I think we talked about it. A little bit. Yeah, it's, it's kind of interchangeable. Whoever wins the return man job probably is one of the faster guys on the team, probably one of the more agile guys on the team. I feel like there's a few players that could fit that bill. Uh, but let's start, let's start in the defensive line. We've, we mentioned this in the spring. Starting four, probably about as close to etched in stone as it gets. You know, Quiddy Pay and Aiden Hutchinson, they return, have at least a decent case as the best defensive end duo in the country. And I don't say that lightly. I, I, this is having done the research, I've looked around the Big Ten, I've looked around the country. I mean, there are a few others. But in, as far as the Big Ten goes, pretty much everyone, there are only really Shaka Tony and George Karlaftis were all-conference defensive linemen or defensive ends last year who are back this year. Gross Matos is gone. Epineza is gone. Willikis is gone. Chase Young is gone. I uh, go down the list. I mean, it's, it, there's been a departure of defensive ends. And I'd argue more than any position group, Michigan has to feel excellent about its defensive end group defensive tackle maybe not quite the same high praise but Carlo Kemp returns that was a I know Michigan really thrilled when they heard that news I think it was in December when they heard that Kemp would be back for his fifth year and uh, it was met with great enthusiasm because he's he's a leader he's going to be a, I assume he's going to be a two-year captain he was a captain last fall and then I felt like he had a really good second half of the season and then Chris Hinton, a bit more of an unknown. He was second among defensive tackles and tackles last year. And to me, the way Michigan schemes, I think raw tackle numbers are notable for how for a defensive tackle. Um, and so Hinton felt like by the end of the year, he started to look better than, than Dwumfor, who I, who I know has had kind of nagging injuries. Uh, you know, Donovan Jeter, Mozzie Smith didn't quite see the time on the field. But I feel like that first four on the defensive line, Michigan, Michigan feels comfortable with that. Uh, it's it's more of the more the depth and the second string and maybe even the third string players that I think will be the point of emphasis in the fall for Sean Newen and Don Brown. But Steve, your thoughts on the defensive line uh, from from the top with the with the stars to uh, maybe we can start to preview some of these position battles for that second flight. Right, so obviously Hutchinson pay a great foundation. Looking to see if they can get to the quarterback and finish a little bit more. Yeah, a lot of pressures, not a lot of sacks. You know, that just seems to be such a continuing theme with, you know, that they they do consistently put pressure on. But it's a lot like you kind of look at the career of Rashawn Gary as like Mm -hmm. a guy that was like, it looked like he was about a half a step away from about 15 more sacks in his Michigan career. And last year it Josh felt, it, yeah, it felt a lot the same from the more like the actually your classic defensive end guys. I think about Alabama. I want to say like two or three of Mac Jones longest completions of the game were by the skin of his teeth uh, as he was just about to get smacked uh, by Michigan defensive linemen. So, you know, interested to see if those guys, you know, can I think obviously I think Hutchinson has 
a higher ceiling to reach still. And, and Quiddy Pay is mm-hmm. one of the most reliable players on the team, regardless of position at this point. So uh, Kemp came along, like you said, both Kemp and Hinton. I thought Hinton played great against Ohio State, and I yes. thought he played admirably against Alabama as well. So, you know, a lot to build off. That's one of those season-finishing deals for a young guy that you can really use as a building point for a breakout season in year two. And Hinton, very highly regarded recruit, super talented, had all the offers. So he's a guy defensively I think is is an easy breakout pick. You know, as far as a guy, I think you're going to hear a lot. Um, you're going to hear his name called a ton this year. So, the, yeah, I agree with you. I think the foundation's strong across the front line to start. Yeah, the really the, one of the most interesting questions is who's going to step up in that second or those second and third units. Is the Mozzie Smith stuff legit? You know, he shed some weight. His conditioning's at a higher level. He didn't play a ton last year. I think he ex- had expected to play more than he ended up playing last year, but I just don't think he was quite there yet. Where does he go? Um, does is is the Jess Spate stuff legit? Yeah, I think he's a, a guy. That, a lot of praise right? for him. Yeah, so a guy that you know in Michigan we've seen it a few times. You know, with guys that up front the walk-ons. I know he's not a Glasgow, um, <laughs> but you know that they've had guys that have produced in those types of situations. You know, and then you have a different group of guys. Jeter again. Jeter's another one who it's. Really, in my opinion, it's got to be a make-or-break year. I didn't real. I thought. He, I mean, I didn't realize he's still only a redshirt junior. Um, but still, got to think it's a make-or-break year for him in the middle. If he can establish himself, then I think there's something there. I think, like I've, we've said before, I think the fact that he's still on the roster and Dwumfor is elsewhere to me says Michigan thinks that he's capable of figuring it out. After that is where it gets really interesting with the David Ojabos, the Taylor Upshaws, the mm-hmm. Welshoffs, the, Villa- the Luigi Villain, who out of that group, you know, can really emerge and step into like, not just a contributing role, but, you know, as another guy who could maybe break out and, and be, you know, a four or five sack kind of guy or a guy that you can comfortably play in different scenarios and schemes. I mean, cause you're, when you're talking about Upshaw, Welshoff in particular, and Villain, although I don't – his injuries, you know, I don't want to put too much uh, expectation on him just because, we, you know, he did look good as he was finally healthy last year. But it's just – it's always hard to say. But Upshaw and Welshoff, two similar guys, recruited for upside. This is their third year. You, If you're the Michigan staff, you you got to start to want to see something from one of these guys. I mean, this is your third year in the program, same defensive system, same defensive coordinator – Almost everything – I know the position coaches are different, but still, I mean, all in all, everything has pretty much been the same. You know, it's like, which of these guys will step up? I, You know, Upshaw has gotten a lot of talk. David Ojabo, I think, is eventually – now, will it be this year for Ojabo? Not 100% sure, but I think eventually he's going to be a stud at some point. It's just a matter of will it be this year or next year, in my opinion. But um, that's really the big question. Or even a Braden McGregor. Mm-hmm. It, you know – Supposedly he's going to be 100% healthy before a, a, a six-week camp or, a, or a pads go on, which may mean – actually, I mean, I guess it is mid-June at this point. you got to think that he's probably close to healthy now then if he's you know, going to be in any kind of factor for this season for them. So, you know, a guy that, again, was a top 100 player 
uh, for the bulk of his recruitment. So not a guy to write off by any means, even though, you know, there are some veteran, you know, second, third year guys that are at least more experienced in the rotation. So uh, yeah, I mean, for defensive line, the biggest question is where's the depth going to come from? I I think it's pretty cut and dry uh, when you have the guys up front, you know, your starting four looks as, as solid as it does. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think Hinton not quite getting the same sense I've gotten about Aiden Hutchinson, but another highly recruited guy, Michigan loved him every step of the way has all the tools and, and kind of has that, that mental application, which I think, I think is something that Michigan, you talk about how, how many times their defensive ends have been close to getting sacks. I think a lot of it comes down to consistent defensive tackle play. I think that's, that's the difference between applying pressure, sending Mac Jones out of the pocket or sending Justin Fields out of the pocket and then completing a 40 yard bomb and that, that player going down or having to throw the ball away. To me, a lot of it comes down to defensive tackle. So Chris Hinton, a lot of star tools, if he has them. I think Michigan's in really, really good shape up front. Uh, if, if he doesn't, which happens, I mean, defensive tackles are often, more often than not, not instant successes. Usually it's more of a year three, year four type of position. Um, but we'll see what happens there. My second string and I went with projections here, Steve, not, not if they were playing tomorrow. So I actually went with Ajabo, Mozzie Smith, Jess Spate, and Villane. I know you're pretty high on Upshaw. I think Upshaw would rotate in with that group. But uh, any, any disagreements? And then my keep an eye on, I had Upshaw, Donovan Jeter, Julius Welshoff, who, who I think probably has the frame to move inside just from having seen him up close a couple times. Yep. And then McGregor, understanding, I mean, he's a true freshman coming off injury. I really don't have much expectations there. Any of the other names? I didn't want to list every scholarship defensive lineman. I felt like that would be kind of a cop-out. But any other names that stand out? And then your thoughts on the second and third string as I project them. Trying to think, I mean, who are we even outside there's, of the true there's freshman? There's Newberg. Yeah, there's Newberg Mike Morris. Uh... This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Maybe, you know, Mike Morris, I've always looked at as one of the more enigmatic guys in that class as a guy that I don't ever think was really scouted that heavily has, has some, has some bloodline as well. I think just, this is me just going off of haven't heard a lot about him, but I don't think I, you know, I never take that as anything necessarily. Right. So uh, we'll be, he's one guy I'm really interested to just, just to hear about and see if he is doing stuff. You know, yeah, I, I suspect that Upshaw is going to play more than like what you'd think a thir- as more than a third rotation or a third line mm-hmm. guy is going to play. They seem to really like him. I, you know, yeah, but it is. It's between between Upshaw, Ojabo, Valane. It'll be really interesting. I also, like I said, I'm not writing Derek Donovan Jeter off either. I almost said Derek Jeter. It was really stupid. 
Um, you know, I'm not writing Donovan Jeter off yet either. Like I said, I think the fact that he's still here means that Michigan thinks there's something there. I mean, it would be very easy for him to go play somewhere else, right? Just like, I mean, that's what Dwumfor did. You know, Jeter was in a similar situation, kind of, although, you know, Dwumfor played a lot more, right? So, you know, interesting situation there. But, yeah, like I said, I, I think these are some of the most interesting battles on the entire roster. It's going to be that backup and the keep an eye on those two lists that you made. I think those are going to be some of the most interesting, you know, situations that we will be looking to learn about once they put the pads on. And it's not a, it's not mutually exclusive, right? All three will find snaps if, Absolutely. if they prove merit. I mean, because yes. one thing to think about, Aiden Hutchinson, a little bit bigger than a typical college defensive end. Quiddy Pay, a little bit bigger, at least from what, they were weighed what they weighed last year. So in theory on a third and eight, they could do a NASCAR package where those two are lining up, but so are say a Jabo and Upshaw. And one, and you know, if, if one of them emerges and kind of looks like a plus sized Josh Uche, you know, maybe a little bit more size to him, but the same kind of quick off, uh, quick off the line, quick once the ball is snapped, get after the quarterback type player, Michigan has shown that they can, they can find room for that type of player. So anyway, those are some of the key questions and storylines in the defensive line. A lot of it's interesting because Villain, Upshaw, Ajabo, very similar backgrounds. Clearly, um, you know Michigan had a, had a bit of a type there when they were recruiting them. All didn't start playing football till their junior years. All had really strong, I guess, so-called combine statistics and numbers. You know, with, with the quickness and the shuttle runs and things like that. Um, and, and all three are being asked to do a lot more this season. So we'll see what happens. Quick, quick aside on that sure. too, for people that are wondering why is the bulk of their bigger edge guys, those types of dudes, like guys who barely played and stuff. It, like, if you think about it, you got to remember if things had been gone, if, if these prospects had progressed the way they were supposed to, we would be talking about a fourth year Duran Irving Bay a fourth-year James Hudson, uh, a third or fourth, a fourth-year Corey Malone Hatcher. You know, Michigan, like, guys like Upshaw and Walshoff became legitimate targets for Michigan and in 18 because they had just signed, what, six or seven defensive linemen in the 17 class. And only, what, two of those guys are left. Yeah. You know, and yeah. so that's why – you know, yeah, you're talking about like why, or even Ojabo uh, in 19, which not quite the same situation, but like I always look at Upshaw and Welshoff as similar as like these were guys Michigan counted on as not probably being able to be ready until they're at least their third year because they just had a long ways to go um, in just development. And, you know, again, third year, though, I just got done saying by your third year, you know, you should be ready regardless you know, Michigan should have these guys ready by their third year, but still uh, just interesting to think about when you consider, you know, from the recruiting standpoint, this should have been their deepest position on the roster if they hadn't had the massive amount of, tri of attrition that they had up front super quickly too. I mean, all those guys were gone within a year. Aubrey Solomon, you know, I mean, like all those guys are gone and who, those are none of those guys – would have been would have been graduated at this point. I don't think any of them were ever going to. Be. Obviously, we've seen 
where each of their respective football careers is gone. They weren't going to be three and done kind of guys either. So right. um, really an interesting idea to think, you know, where, what this unit could have been if they hadn't been bitten by so much attrition. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's in, and you know, it's interesting with Sean Nua, most of these guys, Greg Madison recruits and, yep. and so far, Steve, I don't, I don't know if you've heard differently, but you know, just talking to different people around the, they, the, the parents and the families of these players, the players themselves, I mean, maybe an underrated component is how Nua got them all to buy in. Cause Greg Madison, I mean, he had basically settled the Michigan defensive line factory. I mean, he, he had, you know, he could draw upon like 12 different players in the NFL. I mean, he has all this experience. Nua, Nua's got some experience too, but I think it really speaks to what kind of, um, what kind of personality he has that the, that the players were uh, so bought in so quickly with him. But, One more name, Phil Paya is still on the okay. roster as well and is playing defensive tackle. So another name to at least keep in the back pocket. You know, not a guy, like I said, that we've – not a guy we've heard a lot about since he's arrived. Uh, started at defensive tackle, moved over to the offensive line, but he's been moved back to the defensive line. So, I mean, history says that that doesn't bode well sure. for your, you know, uh, fortunes as far as playing – a lot of snaps or, or cracking the two deep, but still another name to maybe keep in mind uh, when fall camp hits. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, there's, as we kind of said, top four feel like Michigan's feeling pretty good. They feel like they have four guys who can be first, second or third team, all conference. I feel like they have, I mean, Hutchinson, there are people in Michigan's program who think he can be an all American. So, um, that's a pretty good starting point. And then the second string and the third string come after that at linebacker. Another kind of straightforward starting lineup. <laughs> Maybe that's a bit of a theme here, but my, you know, we have Josh Ross at the will, at least in my projections, camera grown at the mic. And then Mike Barrett at the Viper. We've talked about Barrett a little bit as one of those breakout players. There's definitely some unknowns, but uh, to me, you know, if, if there's, if there's someone, you know, the way Don Brown talks about him. And then if you look at his athletic background, uh, plenty of e- e- optimism there, we'll see how it comes to fruition. I'm sure it won't be overnight. You know, he'll, he, I don't know if he'll be perfect, but in terms of how we've seen him move so far in a Michigan uniform, you know, whether it's, uh, as the punt person, as a, as a backup return man on special teams a couple times. So, so I feel like the starting lineup, you know, Don Brown kind of compared it to the 2016 linebacker core, which put up crazy numbers, but was effective kind of in coverage and rushing the passer. I, I want to see a little bit of coverage from a guy like Barrett or a guy like Ross. Uh, same time couple known commodities and a, and a player Michigan feels very good about in Barrett backups. I went with Solomon as the backup Viper. I went with, and then honestly, you know, the Mike and the will are somewhat interchangeable, but I went with Charles Thomas. I think if, if McGrone went down, Ross would become the Mike. Yep. But, and, but went with Charles Thomas and Kalel Mullings, actually a, a true freshman as the other inside linebackers, the names to keep an eye on. 
Ben Ben Sumrin, a former Iowa linebacker commit who played fullback and then running back for Michigan his first two years. Um, Edward Warner, son of Ed Warner. Don't haven't actually looked a ton at a ton of what he's done at Michigan State, but uh, Osman Savage, freshman, and then William Mohan, freshman. Steve, this was probably one of the harder positions in terms of the depth, just because it seems like they can kind of they're, – they're trading, at least at the Viper position, they're almost like trading safeties and Vipers, depending on who they think will project more into the frame and then also who's more ready to go in year one. But, but your thoughts on the, on the linebacker room? I feel like there's a pretty set top four. You mentioned if McGrone was to go down, that Ross would probably shift – to that Mike spot. I think in that situation, I think Anthony Solomon would probably yeah. take the will. He could play inside. Yes. So I think they believe he can. I mean, he, I, he's practiced as the backup Viper, uh, you know, because Barrett, I think like Michigan would be pretty disappointed if Barrett didn't take that job and run with it. Um, Barrett and Solomon, similar paths. Barrett, a guy that Michigan loved on special teams the last couple of years. That's why they put him there is because they think they thought they had something with him. Solomon played in 11 games last year. You know, one of the few guys to, I mean, he was one of only a handful of freshmen that played in that many games, uh, all of which were on special teams. You know, there's a clear good, good, good thing for fans to watch or keep an eye on this year or any year. See which true freshman are on the special teams unit. doesn't have to be a return guy. doesn't have to be, you know, but it just the guys that are out there on the unit. If blocking. they're burning a red shirt for a guy yeah. who isn't right. starting, you know. Right. Yeah. It's a good indication. But but with special teams, you know, the responsibilities, it's totally different than playing corner or linebacker or anything. It's right. still a good indicator that the staff likes that, per, that player enough that they're likely to get at least a legit chance to contribute at whatever position they play. Two, so, two names to – Further your point, Kalik Hudson and Jordan Glasgow, two guys who, who they were – now Glasgow redshirted, but he was a walk-on, but they were playing those guys on, on special teams well before they had a starting or even second-string role in the linebacker room. Yep, so 100% the situation there. You know, I, and like, but, yeah, I think there's a set top four. Correct me if I'm wrong, and I don't – again, I mentioned this with Mike Morris earlier. I don't want to take too much out of it. I don't believe Don Brown mentioned Charles Thomas when he was talking about linebackers last month. He, did he? he did not. Okay. Um, Thought that was a little interesting just because linebacker, like you a little bit different than defensive line where there's, you know, the, at the, yeah, you're talking potential like true freshman in the two deep possibly. So I yeah, thought they it was got, they, they did get ravaged by attrition, right. Um, you know, losing, Uche, Glasgow, Hudson, I'm missing one. Um, I have them down for missing five linebackers from last year, which yeah, obviously no. there's only three positions. Right. That's that's a lot. Jordan so, Anthony transferred out. So, um, yep. It'll be interesting. I One guy not mentioned anywhere uh, was Nikai Hill-Green, who okay. was one of the early enrollees. At the linebacker spot, I've heard some really good things as far as the staff's expectations for him. Again, not necessarily a guy that's going to even burn a red shirt or contribute right away. Just somebody I probably at least had to keep an eye on. Mohan they love. Mm-hmm. Mullings, 
purely from a talent standpoint, probably the top linebacker they're bringing in. So I think you're right to put him in the, you know, I don't, does he walk into the two deep? I don't, I wouldn't say that for sure, but I think he's a guy that probably would be there by the end of the year. Um, Savage to me is a total wild card. I think he could be a stud. You know, he's also a guy really not that they need it, but could probably play some running back too. Uh, hmm. was a really good two way player at St. Francis. I mean, would project him the linebacker all the way, but just kind of thinking out loud there a little bit that he's got. So some, question yeah. on him, because Corum's from St. Francis, right? Correct. So he was a short yard, some, a... some short yardage type okay. deal. Yeah, no, I mean, Corum was their guy, but right. you know, I know Savage played some running back. I want to say his head coach explicitly mentioned that to Wilt Fong when, when Savage committed that he was a, a two, a really a legit two way player for them. That was a kind of guy they could plug in one of those types of guys that you could plug in some different spots and you know, you were going to get something good from him. So um, yeah, he's a, he's a pretty big wild card to me. I mean, he's, I guess I would compare him to Mike. We're talking about Mike Morris a lot. Uh, he, I would compare him to him as far as the guy that to me, it's going to be really interesting to see what comes of him. Cause yeah, I think, I think Mohan is the eventual Viper. I think, like I said, I, I mentioned that they're really high on Hill Green, and like at Mullings, just from a pure talent standpoint, is is, is the best that they're bringing in. So, um, Mullings underrated. I think he's a top one hundred guy. He got the Massachusetts on bump. Um, okay. So, you know, I think he's a guy. He stood out during Army game practices, and he's got I think some he, speed, doesn't he? Yeah, that's it. So he scored a touchdown in the game. I think he returned a fumble, like some ridiculous like 80 yards or something in the game hmm. um looked good like and that was yeah it was a good opportunity for him to showcase his speed you know so it's gonna be interesting yeah i think i look at linebackers similar and we'll talk about safety in a minute where you know you're great at the top just you know a little bit of concern if you sustain a couple injuries you know where the depth chart will go you mm-hmm. know because I think Van Sumeren's capable, but we just, we don't know. Who knows about Warren? You know, there's the keeping eye on's outside of Mohan, you know, Van Sumeren, Warner, Savage, guys that just really, we don't know in my opinion. You know, I don't, I don't know. And I don't know if the staff really could, could fully know either. So. Do you think, this doesn't have to be a long answer. Do you think linebacker based on that lack of depth is a position where once fall camp gets underway, there may be looking at some of, maybe like an offensive player or a player who's playing another I mean do cuz that's usually what you hear sometimes if they're looking looking for depth is they talk to a younger player and they say you probably will see the field sooner if you're at linebacker versus position X I mean is it are they is it a concern for for Michigan yet or or do you think cuz I, I mean Van Summeren he's got to have at least a decently high floor he's been in the program for a while he seems to have that kind of Ben Mason uh, tick to his, to, to his work ethic. And he did play, he, Iowa liked him enough to get a commitment from it, him at linebacker. Is this a capital C concern or is it just kind of a looking over the shoulder? Eh, they, they don't quite know what they have. I, I wouldn't say capital C concern. Uh, I just, like I said, you get past that top four because like I said, I do think they're very high on Solomon. It'll be really interesting what direction they would go. 
in that case. So, you know, like I said, Hill Green would be a guy that's not mentioned that I would keep an eye on for sure. And after that, like I said, you got four guys, you had Charles Thomas in there that we really, to me, I don't, you don't know a ton about what they're going to provide right now. They could, I mean, who knows? Charles Thomas may end up being a stud and one of the stars of fall camp for all we know, just not a name we've heard a lot about. And not, like I said, I thought him more than the, any other position, you know, with them needing guys in the second string at backer that he wasn't mentioned by Don Brown, who usually mentions pretty much everybody when you <laughs> talk does. to him. There have been it, – it's not the first – if Charles Thomas ends up being a 2D player that they feel comfortable with, it wouldn't be the first time Don Brown – because I remember one time, I think it was last fall, oh, who did he forget to mention? Because then the next time he came and saw us, he was like, I got to make sure I mention this guy because, because it was the same thing where there was a little bit of speculation and, and this, it was someone who started. Um, uh, I, I won't remember it off the top of my head, but there was something like that where it's happened before, but the way he talked about Barrett, the way he talked about McGrone, the way he talked about Ross and the way he talked about Solomon, there was clearly, I think you're absolutely right. I think there's a definite top four and then who follows a lot of different types of players too, which I think will make this maybe one of the more interesting positions. You know, you have Warner, you have Van Summeren, you have Mullings, you have Sav. I mean, it's a lot of different backgrounds, a lot of different athletic profiles. So it's, it's kind of interesting, different sized players too. Um, maybe speaks to the direction Michigan will head in the linebacker room for the next couple of years. But we can move to – do you want to do safeties or corners next? Uh, it doesn't matter. We can do corners. All right. Let's do – well, I did defensive backs in the depth chart anyway, so we'll just do that. We'll start with corner. Uh, Ambry Thomas. I went with Vincent Gray. Ambry Thomas is a given, similar to Hutchinson and McGrone, potential all-Big Ten player. I think we got the question, was it Monday, where it was asked uh, – is the offense better than the defense? And, and we said, no, I think Ambry Thomas is a big reason why I think his coverage skills uh, have, have started to match his athleticism. And I think my sense is that he really has taken on a leadership role yep. um, and similar to McGrone, similar to Hutchinson. And, and obviously he's going to be a senior. I think he's going to have a big year. I don't know what that looks like in terms of statistics or anything like that. It, Cause it almost might be a situation if the other corner isn't, doesn't take a big step forward. Thomas might just have like 10 tackles on the year cause nobody's throwing his way. But I think that's something Michigan feels very good about. I think pro football focus even said he was the best player on Michigan's team heading into this year and like the fourth or fifth best player in the big 10. I went with Vincent Gray I, after I did it, I kind of sat on it and, and I think DJ Turner could, could make that leap because I think, I think Gray brings kind of the size. Turner brings a little bit more of the speed. Gray's been in the system a little bit longer, has a little bit, I think he has really good cornerback instincts. Turner is someone Mike Zordish has felt good about since, I mean, he started talking about him. I think as soon as he was allowed to, like two weeks after signing day, he was, going on and on about DJ Turner and in, in, in the same press conference that he kind of gave more um, subdued comments about other cornerbacks. I mean, he was like, can't wait for DJ Turner to get on campus. So 
Steve, your thoughts, we, let's start with that, and then we can talk about the, the other backups in a moment. But your thoughts on the Turner versus Gray. I assume those are the top two candidates, the Turner versus Gray battle that could be coming. I think so. Um, not fully writing off Jamon Green yet either. I think this is another – I think this fall camp is going to be huge for him. I think they, mm-hmm. there's still some hope there. He's kind of a guy – I mean, I guess if anybody who's followed – me reporting any of this stuff is a guy that we've always just kind of heard really good stuff about, but it hasn't quite clicked on the field yet. So it'd be really interesting to see how he does. He'd be like one of the top five guys I'm most interested to learn about in fall camp. There's about one guy at every position, but green's a guy I'm interested to know. Yeah. Gray and Turner will be one of the more, one of the bigger battles, you know, for a position for like a true starting spot. Although, you know, Either, both guys are going to see the field a sure, lot. Sure, yeah, right? absolutely. Uh, so, yeah, and and Selden I don't think would be ready to take one of those top three spots. I think the other interesting, Selden versus Green, although they're two different types of cover, coverage mm-hmm. guys, you know, I do think Selden may have an advantage in, you know, playing a little bit more the nickel type deal, uh, you know, playing more slot coverage type stuff because he's – coverage is not never going to be Andre Selden's issue. The question's going to be, is he big enough? Can he support the run? That's really – to me, that's – otherwise, he's a he's quietly, as no doubt, a an incoming freshman in this class as they have in that, in that entire group. I mean, he's – from a, just a strictly a coverage standpoint, he is an absolute stud. It's just a matter of the size, tackling ability, and, and just being – yeah, and being able to support in the run game when he's on the field. So – because I got to think – you know, he's a guy I feel like offenses may try to attack, you know, in the run game when he comes in to try to kind of mm-hmm. test him because he is a little sure. bit undersized, right? So, um, yeah, it'll be – but Gray and Hill or uh, Gray and uh, Turner will be a, a really interesting battle. I think you have it right for now. It just, But, again, it's just because we really haven't seen Turner. And we've seen a lot of Gray and experience matters. So, I would – probably give him the nod as of now, but I think it's a situation that we could easily see Turner and Thomas as the top two. By the way, regarding Selden, just for the, for the fans who maybe don't follow recruiting, obviously many of our listeners do, but go check out some of the clips from him at, at I can't remember which bowl game he did, but one of the all American ones, he was just going up against top tier receivers, tight ends, and, and just, I don't know. It was almost like watching someone who had just, it was like watching an artist work the way he was going about his coverage. Just very, very sound. Yeah. Okay. The Under Under Armour game. Yeah. He went, he took, and that's, that's that Detroit like pipeline. Like those guys are all cut from the same cloth, man. Like they go to these camps and they want, they want to cover. They want to take the best guy there. That, that goes from, you know, Selden, another one who, I know uh, a guy that we've talked a lot in the recruiting side of things, uh, Jermaine Crowell, Belleville's head coach, has really kind of been the guy, though, that's been the mentor for a lot, you know, going back to Terry Richardson, Jordan Lewis, you know, uh, Delano Hill, Vert, uh, LaVert Hill, and then Ambry and Selden. It's kind of the same deal. And those guys are all – they're the kind of guys that are out all training together still, even though a bunch (laughs) of those guys are in the NFL. They're all at different levels you know, selling a guy that was training with these guys when he was like in seventh grade, you right. know? And so, uh, yeah, not he afraid, is, not, I mean, 
the moment won't be too big for him. That's one right. thing I can tell you about him for sure. Yeah. And, and there is, I mean, I'm very curious to see what it looks like in year one, uh, what his role looks like, I should say, because he is five foot eight, 154 pounds, according right. to Michigan. Yep. And, and I'll, bet he's, I'll bet he's weighing more. I'll bet he's weighing a little bit more than that, but either way he is undersized. Yes. And, and I think he knows it. I think, I think he has made it part of his uh, <laughs> mindset yep. a little bit. And, but in terms of him versus green, it probably will be situation dependent because Jermon Green is six foot two, 180 pounds. So a little bit more length, longer arms. Uh, that said, I guess in terms of the cornerbacks, uh, you know, there are some other names to keep in mind, but kind of looking at that top five, there's a couple, if this, then that. Jalen Perry um, is another player, I guess, that I, I have him as someone you should keep an eye on too. Just haven't heard a ton about him. Maybe, maybe put him. Not, not maybe in the Charles Thomas. We've heard a little bit more about him than Charles Thomas, but still, uh, your thoughts. What does this cornerback look group look like? What, what do you, if you were Mike Zordich, what would your enthusiasm level be heading into the season? Are you, are you comfortable? Are you, I mean, Ambry Thomas will make any cornerbacks coach a little bit more comfortable, but, but in terms of the rest of the group, what, what would your comfort level be? I think it's pretty high. You have, yeah. So you have a, a, an established at the very least, and I wouldn't say like a star, but a guy who I think, like you said, could easily become a national level star this year in Thomas. You have a third year guy who has played extensively the last two seasons in gray. And then you have a redshirt freshman in Turner that you've, like you said, as, as if you're Zordich that you've been, basically chomping at the bit to get on the field. So I think, you know, I think for the most part, again, that top three, and then you have a a true freshman in in Selden who, like I said, there's just, to me, I think he just has a couple, like not the normal types of questions you would have for a college level defensive back. Just got to play the run. I think, you know, he's ready from every other standpoint as long as he's there physically. So I think it's a I I think it's one of the stronger groups on the team if Turner takes the steps that mm-hmm. Zordich has led us to believe that he's going to take. I guess best way to put it. Okay, I think that's fair to say. Uh, on to safety, and let me just pull it up real quick. I, uh, we're we're repeating ourselves here. Pretty simple starting lineup: Dax Hill, Brad Hawkins. Both started last season. Both drew a lot of praise, both from the coaches and also from the st- what the statistics say, and you know PFF's coverage stats and other. And, and then scouts are decently high on them. Maybe not not as high on Hawkins, but I felt like Hawkins had a pretty good season. He went down for a few games toward the end, and I thought Daxon Hill was pretty solid for a true freshman. Not a huge surprise given his recruiting ranking and his profile, but those two, I believe we said it last week. Maybe they're this the they bring speed to the safety position Michigan hasn't had before, and in a in a, in a sport where speed is becoming increasingly important, that's something to to keep in mind. Behind them. Things get, I mean, things are get a little bit more interesting. You, know, you, you would imagine Sammy Faustin, third-year player, 
uh, is, is part of that mix. I went with Makari Page in the two deep. There are some others. Uh, let me just make sure I have the right ones. Jordan Morant, Quinton Johnson missed all of last year to injury. Two, Morant and Johnson actually both missed a lot of time to injury or coming off injuries. I, I believe George Johnson is at safety. Do you know? No, uh, no, George playing cornerback. Okay, well, mm-hmm. then never mind. I had Quentin Johnson and, and Jordan Morant, uh, along with Sammy Foster, Macari Page. Jermon Green is also at safety. So, Steve, we can probably, if you want us to talk about Hill and Hawkins a little bit, that's fine, but we can probably almost skip to the backups because that's really what this entire podcast has been, is who will be, who will be that second string for the Wolverines once the season opens up. So you forgot the true one true freshman in RJ Moten. Oh no! One. Did I really? Did I it's not okay. include him? I'm not trying to. I wasn't I trying to. Sworn I wrote him down. Well, unless my eyes deceive me, uh, I'll do a control F here. Yeah, you're all right. You're okay. Um, okay. Well, he's obviously in the right. Too. <laughs> no, but Faustin, yes. Page, yes. So I heard Page give a little bit of inside stuff. I'll be writing some of this stuff later, but we might as well talk about it. We're talking about the safeties now. Uh, heard Paige had a good winner with the workouts uh, before the virus hit. I think they're excited about him. They're also, I know they're excited to work with Quentin Johnson. He's, he's healthy now. Also, like I heard, had pretty good winter workouts. With him, it's just more of, getting their hands on him because he was a guy too, pretty highly touted recruit, but played a lot more linebacker hmm. at okay. St. John's in Washington, DC. Um, and was, you know, like when he played it, he played in the Under Armour game last year, you know, and the, the knock on him was that he was inconsistent in coverage. Well, it's cause he was really kind of covering for one of the first time. Like he wasn't, you know, covering guys a ton in high school and it definitely wasn't his primary role. So, you know, finally fully healthy, really almost a first year for him. Not, no, not totally, but kind of, cause I mean, he had surgery. I mean, he didn't, he missed a lot of time. Moten is a guy, one of the, of the true freshmen. So they have Moten Morant page that we talked about. Morant probably not going to be a year one guy just because he's been banged up a little bit. I know our own Brian Doan uh, spoke to him last week. I think he was at some random camp out in Jersey, talked to him, confirmed what we pretty much knew. You know, maybe a special teams guy, but not a guy I think they're going to put a lot on his plate. I think they're more concerned about making sure he's 100% before they push him too hard. Uh, They think R.J. Moten is going to be special. So he's the guy, at least of those three, I think maybe be the one that has the highest ceiling. Hmm. I don't know if he's a – you know, if he's a two deep right away type deal, because I do think Paige would have an advantage already having at least been in the on campus for a few months. And because he's capable, he's a, he can play free for sure. I'm not sure if Moten would be a free, right. You know, Paige might be a guy that could slide into either one of those spots if needed. Same with Faustin maybe more so than Moten, but I'd say, like I said, can just flat out say we've been told that Michigan believes Moten is a potentially special player. So 
You hear that? What's special about him? Athletically, he's off the charts. He's really a guy that's got a um, almost similar to Quentin Johnson, although he did play defensive back as a guy. I think it's really – and that's the question with a lot of safeties, the young safeties, is the coverage ability, especially in this defense, right? We've seen what happens, you know, when Michigan safeties are either overmatched in coverage or just blow assignments or whatever. It's really going to be about acclimating – to what Don Brown likes to do and, and just becoming a, a capable coverage guy. Um, he's athletically, though, just off the charts. And one thing we always – is the two-sport deal is, like, his his ability on the baseball diamond, the guy's just an all-around athlete, you know, and, and a guy that they feel comfortable is a guy they think when he gets comfortable on the football field that he's going to be a force. So, you know, a guy that we had ranked in the top 100 and then he fell – after the army game last year because he struggled in coverage um which again you know like i said to me it's like you know michigan saying he's going to need time in coverage and then he struggles at one camp in coverage and he gets bumped down like 150 spots so to me i'm i I look at it as michigan still bringing in a top 100 type kid with him so you know of the fresh true freshman might be the one with the highest ceiling i don't know if that translates to most likely to crack the two deep but you know you hear the word special which isn't honestly people might be so you don't really hear special thrown around like okay. that often you know you do hear hey we're they're really high on this guy or you know we think he's got a chance to be a really good player like but special is not something you hear a ton on so um and then as of just a, a throw-in note at safety daxon hill's kind of already at that point where Basically, it's the way it's been explained, I know to myself, I'm sure Sam, maybe Bryce have heard similar stuff, where it's like, we're really excited about a lot, or we're really excited about the, some of these other safeties along with Dak, alongside Daxon Hill, where it's hmm. like assumed that okay. he's going to be really, really good. So... That's, you know, another little uh, con- contextual clue when you're talking to sources and that type of crap where you, um, you know, it's like, oh, well, okay. So it's already assumed that Hill is going to be, you know, which we kind of figured anyway, but, you know, it's just always makes it easier to make bold claims about it when that's the way that it's kind of, you know, spoken to you about. So. Yeah. Well, it seems reminiscent of Aiden Hutchinson last year, you know, when they did a, they did like a, Twitter a tweet graphic where it had like photos of four different players and I think it was like Shea Patterson, Nico Collins, um, I'm trying to think who the other one was, maybe Carlo Kemp and then it was Aiden Hutchinson and it was like well he hasn't even started a game these other guys are, are return or I think it was Ben Bredesen, Shea Patterson, Nico Collins and then it was Aiden Hutchinson and it's like wow they already it's like almost assumed that he's already one of the faces of the team. Um, I, I, I think I can see why looking at Dax Hill, he's really fast, really athletic, five-star recruit for a reason, you know, scouted very heavily. I think even Bob Shoup, I was just going over the quotes about him or from him in February. And he was like, I had Hill down as one of the best or as the best safety in the country when he was a defensive coordinator at Mississippi state. So special team, did we already talk special teams? 
I mean, we briefly touched on it at the beginning. Okay. I don't really know how much there is to add. No, um, not really. I mean, either Quinn Nordine. We've, I think we've all seen enough of Quinn Nordine and Jake Moody to just assume whoever wins is probably going to be one of the better Big Ten kickers. Right. Uh, Will Hart versus Brad Robbins. I assume Will Hart wins. And then obviously in the return game, it, it kind of depends almost. I wrote it down here that it kind of depends on what Jay Harbaugh's philosophy will be in terms of return game. Is he comfortable putting one of his more utilized offensive pieces like a Mike Sainer still or a Giles Jackson there? Or is it an opportunity for a true freshman to really get a, get a bit of a taste of what, what it's like to play at the college level when it's AJ Henning versus Roman Wilson? Any, any insight to share on the special teams units? My instinct tells me that Jackson's role at receiver will be big enough this year to where I think they may try to go in a different direction there if they can. All On the flip side, though, he was so effective mm-hmm. on kick return that you kind of wonder if they may be able to have a hard time keeping him off of there. I, Maybe like I, a Jabril Peppers type. Yeah, so I, I just I can't see them – with all his responsibility that, I, like I said, this is more assumption, but again, I mean, I think he's one of the safer breakout picks offensively this year. I I can't imagine them putting him at kick and punt return. Mm-hmm. So I think if anything, just because he excelled on kick, I think that's where they would keep him instead of just moving him to punt and then putting somebody else at kick. And that's where, yeah, I think that could be where Sainer still makes his name is that punt return or because his responsibility at receiver may not be as great as Jackson's is. Um, Or yeah, the true freshman route, they'll have, they'll definitely have the athletes to take a shot, to take a shot there. Right. I mean, Henning just seems like another Giles Jackson. And I mean that in the best possible way. I mean, as a guy who could just walk in and at the very least can give you something on special teams. So, you know, that, that to me, I feel like, the true one of the true freshmen, probably Henning, is a guy that will either be punt or will be one of the guys on kick. That's I so I would say something like maybe Jackson and Henning on kick and then Sainer still at punt, or you know, I don't know. Um Henning on punt and <laughs> Jackson and maybe Jackson and Sainer still on kick. I don't know. I just I have a hard time thinking that they would take Giles from kick because he was I think statistically one of the best in the country last year, if I remember right. He was up there. Yeah, yeah. He was like – he was a top 15, top 20 kick returner if you yeah. combine where he ranked in a bunch of the stats. And he was second or third in the Big Ten. And the big thing, I think he he fit Michigan's philosophy of you're taking the ball out. I mean, really, it's – the the I, I actually admire this of Michigan is that they – they aren't fielding fair catches on kick returns. You know, if it's not in the end zone, you're, you're giving it a try. You're trying to score. You're trying to, you know, play physical, play football instead of fair catches. But anyway, to me, you know, I, we talk about special teams a lot. The position battles there are, are less critical because I think the winner is just going to be the winner. There's a little bit less nuance, like either you made more field goals in practice but it's all interesting. There's our offensive and defensive depth chart. Steve, you've had you've gone through it all. Any any additional thoughts on on offense or defense or anything that 
maybe we haven't said yet? No, I think they've built outside of like they have they have true freshman reinforcements at the two positions that I think they least can afford injury, which would be linebacker and safety. Mm-hmm. Right? I think those are the spots where if guys get hurt, you know, you might have you might end up having some guys who aren't wouldn't normally be fully ready to play, maybe get thrown kind of thrown into the mix. Otherwise, I mean, most of these positions depth isn't really the problem right i mean it's more so just progression yeah you know you talk about the interior there are bodies they're just guys that haven't played a lot yet hinton smith mozzie smith being a perfect example really of you know not it not being a depth issue as much now as it is an experience issue so um like i said i think we talked defensively you could argue they have a top two player at all three levels in the conference, they have a top two player at all three levels of the defense or guys that could easily be, I, I, I don't want to say Daxon Hills there yet, mm-hmm. but he could easily be by the end of the year, could be one of the top two safeties in the big 10. Ambry Thomas, one of the top two cornerbacks in the big 10. McGrone, one of the top two linebackers in the big 10. And then Hutchinson or pay could be one of the top two defensive ends in the, in the, in the league. So there's, there's a good mix of seniority and talent defensively or really just be about ironing out those, a couple of those two deeps and avoiding injury at the positions we talked about. Yep. Yep. And as we talked about, I want to say last week, do some of these redshirt sophomores or redshirt juniors or sophomores or juniors, the second and third year players, do they take that leap and start to look like the finished product that Michigan has always kind of projected for them. So anyway, with that, uh, we can probably wrap things up here. Be sure to check out our stories over at the michiganinsider.com, michigan.247sports.com. Both depth charts are in there, and I wrote uh, about 2,000 words on each of them. So, you know, I went in depth, I, even though I forgot Moten. Uh, I, I had him in my head, too, which is a bummer. But regardless, in-depth looks there. Lots of stuff about the news today, talking to Ward Manuel. Um, you know, lots of recruiting stuff. There is also a recruiting podcast every Sunday. I know we got one question about recruiting. You can probably listen in on Sunday and get your answer. Be sure to rate and subscribe and share this podcast if you liked it. Love to hear the positive feedback. Love to see this thing continue to grow. For Steve Lorenz, I'm Zach Shaw. This has been the Wolverine 24-7 Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Hope you had fun. Hope you learned something. We'll see you next time.